Well, we're starting a new series this morning called Seasons. I have a whole bunch of sayings that help me uh, in life and in work and in ministry. And I call them hashtags. Some people may, may, you, maybe you've heard them called plumb lines. Um, but they're things that are worth talking about as a team, as a leadership team. So I call them hashtags. One of my hashtags, and I bring this up regularly with our team, is you're always in a season. Name it. You're always in a season. Name it. And the power of naming the season that you're in is it, it adjusts your expectations. It helps you recognize that next morning when you get up, you realize, I'm in that season. I'm in a, I'm in a, a season this morning, for example, of preparation. I'm being prepared for something. I don't know what it is, or maybe I do know what it is. Uh, we, we, have, we have three seniors in college, and they're in a season of preparation, right? I mean, they are, they are in a high-stress uh, season of life. There's a lot of uncertainty. What's your season? As, as we're walking through these next weeks, I hope what you're going to find are, is, is a language to help you reframe the season that you're in. You're always in a season. Name it. Now, part of the reason why we're, we're looking at seasons, though, is we're looking at, 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 at these different seasons chronologically in order to examine how we can live our call season to season, in season, out of season, that you and I can live our call. Every one of us is called, not just people who are in ministry, we're all called to follow Jesus. And so a lot of the things that you do, maybe the, the work that you do or the role that you serve at home or in the community, all the different roles that you have are answerings to the call to follow Christ. And so everyone is called. If you're called to follow Christ, you're called to answer him in the roles that you have. And so understanding what it takes to be called season to season. That's what this series is all about. You know, it, it, once upon a time, it was so much easier, I think, to define your identity and who you were. It, it wasn't so much about uh, what you did, but more about who you were. Now, let, let me give you an example. So, so it, it used to be that, that men were brought up by men. Boys became men next to men in the battlefield, in in the, the, the agricultural field, in the blacksmith shop. If you were a blacksmith, you, you understood that you had a call to, to, to that trade that you knew was knit together with the community. And so how different it is today that, that one of the, one of the uh, uh, doctrines of our age really is that you invent yourself. <laughs> that is just incredible pressure and misguided that individually each one of us is supposed to find our own music and, and just simply produce that completely unknit with the rest of the community, not to mention the bigger picture of the kingdom of God. What does it mean to live called it's to recognize that, that everyone is called, every one of us, and that your gifts are given for the common good, not just for yourself, not just for your livelihood, not just for your self-actualization, but 
but so that you can be part of something bigger than you. Let me read to you this quotation from A.W. Tozier, his great book, Pursuit of God. If you've never read it, get it today. Let everyone abide. Abide, John 13, John 15, abide. Let everyone abide in the calling wherein he is called and let their work be as sacred as the work of the ministry. It is not what we do that determines whether work is sacred or secular, but why we do it. Your work is sacred. Do you know the why? Do you know the season you're in? Can you understand how your life is going from season to season to live out your call fully so that you know why you're doing everything that you're doing in every role? Do you have a why within your role? Well, that's this series. And today we're going to be talking about a season of preparation. All the energy you have, all the ideas you have, the big hopes and dreams that you have, sometimes they're parked and you're going, Lord, what am I doing? Why am I waiting? A season of preparation is what Elijah was all about, even after he knew he was, had a special call from God to be a prophet of Israel. From the word of God, 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read you the, this whole story of this season of preparation where Elijah begins to learn that every moment, not just the big moments, but the small moments are sacred moments. Hear God's word this morning. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, who was the king of Israel, you know, at this time, the Israel uh, had divided into the northern and southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom of Israel was, was uh, ruled by King Ahab. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself behind the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. I'm going to skip to verse six. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land, even as he had prophesied. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Jerapheth, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Jerapheth. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow was there and gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. She said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. What a conversation. <laughs> Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as I have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. 
For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Now, verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness, the son's illness, was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to the cause of death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid, on, laid him on the bed and cried aloud to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even on this widow whom I sojourn, uh, with whom I sojourn by killing her son? And then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O my Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again. And he lived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is your, in your mouth is truth. Wow. We better pray. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, bless this word not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our hands and feet we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. We used to live in Orlando for a little while, and uh, I remember seeing people come out of the Magic Kingdom with what uh, people called, after the Civil War, the thousand-yard stare, right? You know what I'm talking about? Are you with me? All right? Moms and dads with young children walking out of of Orlando, Orlando's Magic Kingdom with a thousand-yard stare. I can imagine that sometime earlier that day, a mom or dad said something like this. We've spent our entire life savings on this vacation, and you're going to have fun for the next six hours. Because, you know, of course, after about an hour, they're done. And so a lot of times what we do is we bank on those big moments. We think, oh, man, we're going to put everything into this big moment. And some of you are planning to go to Disney World. I'm sorry about that. There are people in the room that I know are going to Disney World within the next one. Ruined it for you. No, it's going to be great. Just cherish the little moments. So, but, but imagine that you've spent your life savings on going to this, this Disney experience, and you think, it's going to be great, and we, we put so much in Or the holiday season, all the family's coming, and, and all these expectations that you have that you haven't said to anybody, but you're expecting them, Right? And you're expecting certain things to happen, and you haven't told anybody, but you're expecting them. And we put so much on these, these, these big moments, and we pass by so many little ones. I think this is one of the reasons why we separate life into compartments of secular and sacred. It's, why, it's one of the reasons why we see um, pastors having a call, and, uh, and, and doctors, and teachers, and, and moms... Uh, not having a call, but we're all called. We're all called. And if we're going to live into our call, we have to first endure seasons of waiting and preparation so that we may see the sacred in the small moments, the ordinary moments, the meanwhile 
moments. So let's look at the meanwhile. Let's look at the everyday ordinary moments. And let's look at moments of anticipation as we go back to this text. First of all, meanwhile moments. You know what those are? Meanwhile? Meanwhile, right? I've got these big plans, but meanwhile. Oh, I'm going to go do this thing, but meanwhile. I'm going to conquer the world, but meanwhile. I've got to do this other thing, I guess. Lord, what are you doing? Why am I waiting? Have you been there? Are you there now? Meanwhile moments are when we learn to depend on God for the small things so that he can entrust us with bigger ones. He was faithful and little, can be trusted with much, right? Meanwhile moments, those moments of preparation, a season of preparation, those moments of meanwhile are the moments when you and I learn to depend. We don't like to wait, though. We don't like those seasons of preparation. We don't like waiting. We don't like meanwhile moments. I mean, who chooses the longest checkout line at, at the grocery store, right? I mean, I'm always eyeing. I'm, I'm always watching. I'm scoping people out. I'm sort of sizing and profiling people to see, uh, is this going to be a check writer? Or is this going to be a, a debit card person, right? Apple Pay, right? I mean, you know, I, I, sometimes I, I, I get in the line and I, I thought it wasn't a check writer, but it's a check writer, right? You know what I'm talking about, all right? So here we are, and the check writers always, it's always a surprise to the check writers that they have to pay after everything's beeped, right? Everything's beeped in, and it's like, oh, yeah, where's my checkbook, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, let, oh, let me go find it. It's somewhere, it's somewhere, it's in my, whoa, what packet, what pocket is it in, or where is it in my purse, or whatever it is. Surprise, you have, you have a bill at the end of all this. All right, well, let me start filling this thing out. Sorry, check writers. I'm offending all kinds of people this morning. But it just illustrates the point. We do not like to wait. I mean, and we're hypocrites about it. You know, when we're, when, we're behind, when we're behind the slow car, right, it's like, what is wrong with this person? And when someone's tailgating us, we look in the river and we say, what is wrong with that person, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, but we know we do not like to wait. Here Elijah is called to be the prophet of prophets. He's called to confront a very crumbly situation. You know, right after, uh, right after King Solomon died, the nation of Israel began to divide. And it became vulnerable. And the northern kingdom was much more vulnerable to the Assyrians who were always encroaching on land and always trying to influence. And Ahab made things much worse because he married Jezebel. Jezebel was the, the daughter of a, a pagan king. And, uh, and, 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 and she wanted control. She wanted... She wanted her husband to, to, to have all the gods of the land really identified with his leadership. She was threatened by Yahweh. She was threatened by the one true God. She was, she was threatened by this God who was sovereign, who could not be controlled, who could not be just simply put on a pedestal or, or, or figured in stone. She was threatened by it. And here is Elijah called to confront this situation and then immediately sent away 
I mean, he brought a bad word, <laughs> and then he was sent away, and what did, he, what did he learn? All of a sudden, he was called into this amazing role to speak to the kings of the land, and then to live a season of obscurity. So that, why? So that moment to moment, in the small moments, he could learn to depend. You know, when, when, when you have a di- diagnosis, or you're waiting on the letter to come for whether you're in or you're out, or when, when you're, you're waiting with a question mark over your head, or you're just waiting. A lot of times, the advice is, you know, do what you can do. Take the next step. Control what you can control. Don't ruminate over the things you can't control. This is good advice, but it's not quite far enough. Elijah isn't just controlling what he can control. He's taken from the biggest moment of his life to this obscure, isolated living. Ravens feeding him, bringing him their scraps. But he's learning not just to control what he can control, not just to take the next step, but to depend on God in the smallest moments. To learn to go back to the Lord and depend. Isn't it amazing we don't know anything about Jesus between age 12 and 30? He was a carpenter, worked with stone, wood. He made stuff, chairs, built houses. What was he learning? When he was growing in stature, what was he learning? He was learning to depend in the small so that he could be entrusted with the big. Trust God with the small, and you will be entrusted with the big. That's meanwhile moments. That's what's happening. In a season of preparation, in meanwhile moments, learning to trust God. Not just do the thing you can control, but depend. Meanwhile moments. Second, not just meanwhile moments. That, that, that's not the only thing that's defining the season of preparation for, for Elijah, but just everyday moments. Everyday, mundane moments. Daily. Life is so daily, right? Life is daily. There are things you just have to do every day. Just, just clock in, clock out, check the box, get the thing done, turn it over, do whatever. It's daily. Where's God? In daily moments. Well, Elijah is learning. Elijah is learning to abide in God in daily moments. Are you familiar with Walker Percy? I'm going to illustrate what, what, what we're talking about in Finding God in daily moments. Walker Percy, he's one of the greatest Southern writers of all time. All right? Walker Percy. His, his, his book called The Movie Goer is a profound study of everyday moments, daily moments. A man, the, the chief protagonist, the lead character of this, this book, has a heart attack. And you've probably heard this before. When somebody has a major life event, they get a totally different perspective on life, right? For a while. How long does it last, right? I had a near-death experience. 
And for how, how many weeks does that last? Sometimes it lasts for a long, long time. In, in Walker Percy's book, The Moviegoer, he's looking at that kind of new perspective so that you and I don't have to have a crisis to gain it. Here's what happens. He's commuting. He's on a train. He has a heart attack. He goes to the hospital. When he wakes up, he realizes his life has been spared, and he looks at his hand. This is the amazing thing. He looks at his hand. And you know how, how you say, oh, I know it like the back of my hand, right? I never understood what that means. Because I, I mean, I guess if you put your hand out there and a bunch of other people put their hand out there, you'd recognize your hand, right? So people think that they're familiar with their hand. But here's the amazing thing, and I think this is why he's playing on that, that whole idea of looking at his hand as opposed to anything else. He looks at his hand as if for the first time. And he uses this word. He says he looks at his hand and he is astonished at what it can do. Like, he can control it. And there's a certain art to it, a design, a symmetry in a, in a way. There's an opposable thumb. Those are good things, I hear. But he is astonished by this everyday reality. He has a hand that is kind of an amazing tool. Now, I was wondering that when I got to this point in the sermon, if, if this would be enough to get your attention and say, oh, I see what you're saying. And so I'm just going to check in with you, and I, I wonder, do you, have you ever had that kind of moment? I mean, you certainly can sort of intellectualize and project that, um, you know, if you had a major life event and, and suddenly, all of a sudden, you're just glad to be alive and it's like it doesn't matter what's on the calendar, it doesn't matter, you have all these issues and all these tangles, but here you are and here's the person that you love walking into the room and you're like, oh, I'm so grateful, right? And maybe it's just a sense of gratitude. But it's not just gratitude. He's seeing his life in his hand as if for the first time. He is astonished. You see, this is exactly what Elijah is experiencing. He's seeing his life as if for the, for the first time. I mean, he's recognizing, look, that, that life is a gift. That the jar that doesn't empty is, is, it represents the fact that God gives life day by day. Do we receive it as something entitled? Do we say, oh, another day? Or do we recognize life as a profound gift? Do you? See and receive life as a gift. Well, you say, well, Tim, well, I would certainly be astonished if I were being fed by ravens. And if I had a jar uh, that was full uh, every morning, even though it was empty the day before, I would be astonished too. But you're just talking about your hand. I mean, why is, the, why is it that, that some people in the Bible, they get these miraculous things and we get these sort of everyday moments? Well, let me answer that question. What, do, do you remember... Or are you familiar with the story of the Israelites being fed with manna? Remember that? How long was it before their astonishment turned to grumbling? Because, oh, manna again, right? Like, uh, you know, rice and beans again. I mean... This is a miraculous situation, and yet I'm like, I'm there. I'm in the moment. I'm going, yeah, that would be me. I would be like, yeah, okay, this is amazing how this appears, but after a few weeks, months, 
It's like, oh, I guess that's just the way the world works. You look at your hand. I guess that's just the way I, my body works. And we miss. Here's, look, here's what, here's what Augustine says about it. He says this. People go abroad to wonder at the heights of the mountain, the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars. And they pass by themselves without wondering. Are you wondering? Do you have a sense of wonder? At everyday moments. G.K. Chesterton said this, in fairy tales, we make the apples golden in order to remind us of the moment of astonishment when we realized that's a green apple. So we can remember that moment of profound wonder that apples are green. <laughs> when, I, when I was in high school, I had a little, little, little sweetheart um, for a, a charge. I was in charge of her for the Special Olympics, and, and her name was Malika, and she was the sweetest little thing, and she had to walk with a walker, and she would abandon her walker and fall to the ground if she saw a dandelion. And she would put her nose right up to that flower. And I'm thinking, she's got her face in the ground and weed. And I realized later, I thought, amazing to see the everyday ordinary through the life of her eyes. That's what you're seeing with Elijah. Finally, this moments, not only of meanwhile, not only of everyday ordinary, but, but to be called is to be called to a season of waiting and preparation so that we can appreciate what we're really anticipating. What are you really anticipating? Retirement? The next job? That thing to resolve? What are you anticipating? Are you anticipating daily something bigger? Are you really anticipating and leaning into a hopeful future? God wants that for you. He wants that from me, to anticipate. You see, Ahab, Jezebel were insecure. They wanted control over God. Elijah's very name confronted them. Elijah means, my God is Yahweh. Yahweh means, I am that I am. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. We are under the Lord, not over. And when we begin to anticipate, we recognize that moment to moment, he is sovereign, even when we don't like what's going on. Let me give you a picture of this in the close here. I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I had an older brother who was killed by a drunk driver. And I, I want to tell you a, a God wink that happened last week. So I went to Furman shortly after he was killed. And my sister ended up there a couple of years later. And as part of, uh, as part of uh, honoring our family at my high school, uh, there was an award set up, an annual award, called the Scott Philston uh, Scholar-Athlete Award. Well, uh, over the summer, I found out that uh, a young man named Nick Epstein was the 2019 winner of that award. He was recognized and honored with that award. 
And then we found out later he, went to, he was going to Furman. And my sister's son uh, is attending Furman. It's, it's, his, it's, it's his freshman year there. And uh, his name is Scott. She named him after my brother. Well, as luck would have it, he's right across the hall from Scott. Now, I don't know what that means, but when I look at my hand... I see it a little differently. Some people call these divine winks. It's it's the sense of living in a moment when It's already done, but it's not yet all done. That's what the kingdom of God is in the midst. It's the idea that God has already redeemed these sad things. And now and then, he gives us little windows of insight into how much we have to look forward to. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your sovereign watch care over all of our moments. Lord, this morning, would you well up within us a sense not only of gratitude, but a blessed assurance, a calm sense of peace that even in seasons of waiting and preparation and frustration, Lord, you are at work. You're at work restoring creation. You're at work making sad things come untrue, even even that we can see. And you're at work in our life this morning to well up a living hope that the things that we won't see resolved in this life, that indeed we can have great faithful confidence in things to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for this closing song.